Hello there, how are you? Welcome to Thursday's show. It's me, Richie Allen, the BBG, live from BBG Towers in Salford. The time is five o'clock. It's live, it's live radio. It's me and you this afternoon. Do stay in touch with me, or get in touch with me, I should say, via my website, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live during the programme. I'll be thrilled to hear from you, so I will. Let's do today's programme then. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, sure, there's loads to talk about. Isn't there ever loads to talk about? Andrew Bridgen, the MP, has put out a statement on his YouTube channel. He's had the whip removed. This happened yesterday after he referenced, an on, not an oncologist, a cardiologist. He said that a cardiologist had said to him something along the lines of that the cardiologist hasn't seen such a, an attack on humanity in terms of the COVID jabs, uh, hasn't seen such a terrible tragedy for humanity since the Holocaust, right? So Andrew Bridgen put this out there and uh, had the whip removed and was basically kicked out of the Conservative Party. It's received an awful lot of attention again today in the UK media. He has put out a statement, and in a few minutes' time we'll have a listen to that statement, and we might try and pull it apart. But there's lots more to talk about besides that as well on Thursday's programme. How are you this Thursday? Are you well? I saw, I'm going to be the first one to say it, every year there has to be one dipstick, one dipstick every year has to be the first to say this. And this is recorded. This will be written down somewhere. I'm going to be the first one. There's a bit of a stretch in the evenings, isn't there? Eh? Eh? I think I've, I must be the first. I did notice it, though. 20 past four this afternoon. It's ordinarily kind of dark, but it wasn't. So I said to the missus who rolled her eyes, bit of a grand old stretch in the evenings now, isn't there, as we're halfway through, or not quite, but nearly halfway through January. Speaking of my missus, Caroline Tissot, let me, I, I, I didn't overhear something as much as she, she shared it with me today. Let me kick off with this. I'd like your opinion, please. In fact, I'd like your knowledge. Do you work for a company? You might do, right? And have you worked at home? Of course, you will have worked at home in March, April, May, whatever, 2020. But are you still working at home? Is that a permanent arrangement? Or are you doing what what, what they are referring to as a hybrid arrangement, where you might be going to the office maybe two or three days a week and working from home two days a week? The reason I ask this is, is my better half works for a company which is headquartered in India. It's a big firm. It's a very well-known firm. It provides services to even bigger corporations. It provides many services. One of the services it provides is accountancy. And my missus is an accountant and she moves money around on behalf of some very big corporations. Right, that's no big deal. But obviously back in March 2020, my missus was told to go home and work from home. Now that's become a permanent arrangement because the company closed its offices in sale in Manchester without any sort of canvassing of the employees or asking them how they felt about it and just basically tr- 
how do I put this? And said no more about it. Kind of said no more about it. Just like you're working from home and just said nothing about it. No permission sought. Certainly no permission granted. And this is interesting. Has this happened to you? Now, my missus is hardly a troublemaker, but she's very assertive. And she's not somebody now who you'd trample all over and take the mickey out of her. So she's been in contact with the company. She hasn't heard anything back as of yet, but she will do. To say, listen, when did you make the decision to close the offices permanently? Why weren't we consulted? Because this is a massive life change. You saying you no longer have offices and your employees will work remotely, number one. And of course, there is a significant cost incurred in that to the employee. I mentioned yesterday or the day before, I can't remember, and I wasn't whinging about it because there are a lot of people who have it far worse than I have it. But our gas and electric bill went over £400 for December. They've gone up dramatically, of course, for reasons that well, the media tell you, Ukraine, Russia, we know different, you and I. But there's obviously this factor as well. So she's been asking questions. The missus has been saying to her fellow employees and to the company, you surely have a responsibility when it comes to compensating me. I didn't decide to work from home. I understand it isn't the healthiest thing in the world for me to be working from home where I live, my my nest you know, the place where I relax with my family. You didn't ask any of us. Now you want us to do it. I'm heating a couple of rooms because of that. Blah, blah, blah. So it'll be interesting to, 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 to get the response from the company. But something she said to me kind of wound me up. And that was she had a conference call with quite a few employees. And the majority, the majority of them were meek in the extreme. They were meek. They were like, oh, well, I don't want to be causing any trouble now or starting anything. I don't want to be, you know, kind of turning the company against me. And this pissed me off, this, because it reminded me of something which happened to me many, many years ago. And I wonder, does this kind of explain the attitudes of people towards COVID and towards restrictions and how meek and how docile and how compliant people were so she's saying to people, you know, you, you, I'm going to the company as a senior employee, senior accountant to say it's outrageous to be closing offices and not to provide us with an office space. It's outrageous. The, the, the utility bills, blah, blah, blah. And they were kind of shifting uncomfortably on the Zoom call. Oh, well, I don't want to be causing any trouble now. And this takes me back. I worked at Waterford Crystal as a tour guide, and I told you this once or twice, and I did this for several summers, but the summers extended into the autumn and even into the early winter. And it was a full-time, part-time job, even though that's a contradiction in terms like oxymoronic language. But you you took it on as summer work, but you worked full-time hours and then they kept you on right up until things really died down around the Christmas time. This is a tour guide job taking groups of tourists around a factory to see the wonderful Waterford Crystal being being made, being having life breathed into it by amazing artists and craftsmen and women, mostly craftsmen at the time. So I used to do this and I did it in 92 and 93 and 94 and I remember midway through 1993 it occurred to me, dear listener, 
that we were being asked to do a seven-day week every second week, right? So week one, we do Monday to Friday, 40 hours, right? Week two, we would do Saturday and Sunday also, because obviously in the height of the summer, you've got the tourists and you can't be closing down on Saturdays and Sundays. So that was fine. But then I found out this unionised shop, because Waterford Crystal, with, you know, at the time of fifteen or 1,600 employees, it um, was unionised, the ITGWU union. We were all members of it. And I learned, dear listener, that everybody else in the factory who worked Saturday and Sunday were paid time and a half on Saturday until one o'clock. And then Saturday afternoon and Sunday, they were paid double time. And I didn't like this when I learned this. I was pretty peeved off. Now, while the missus is very diplomatic and will deal with her company in a way where everybody will be happy. I don't have a diplomatic bone in my body, so I lost my temper. And I thought, they've been taking the piss out of us for the last year and a half, doing this Saturday and Sunday working, not getting the same terms as everybody else. So I mentioned to my fellow workers, there were 40 of us, tour guides, and I got the same bullshit from them. Oh, we, you know, kind of twisting their shoe on the ground with their arms behind their backs. You know, we don't want to be causing any trouble kind of a thing. Maybe, you know, it's no big deal. I said, it is a fucking big deal. So I got the union involved anyway. There, there will be people listening who will remember this. I went to the union and I said, this is not good enough. The union said, no, it isn't good enough. And anyway, after a protracted negotiation period, eventually the company capitulated and it was paid in full, backdated to when we started. And most of us ended up with several hundred pounds to a thousand pounds or more in, in, um, in compensation. And that was grand, right? I was the antagonist in that. That was fantastic. It was wonderful. But again, the meekness and the reluctance for people to get involved. And I see that today with the missus. Docile, compliant people, you know. Your rights are being pissed on. The company is taking the piss out of you, you know, by just allowing this period of working from home just expand and expand, not looking after you properly, and then, you know, expecting you to heat rooms in your home, which you wouldn't be doing if you were going into the office. And the response from most of the employees is like, oh, well, um, I don't want to get into any trouble. Have you experienced that sort of, I'm not going to swear again, but is that something that you're dealing with at the moment yourself or your loved one or a brother or a sister? Are they in that situation? They've worked up until March 2020 and now they're either permanently at home or are they doing the hybrid thing? And more importantly, how do they feel about it? This is such a big deal, I think. I'm going to get an employment lawyer on the programme next week to talk about this because I think it is very serious. The time is 11 minutes past five. However, today, the 12th of January, Bent Day, Bent Day Trace, there are more important things to discuss than that. So let's get into them right now. Andrew Bridgen, Tory MP, or at least he was until yesterday, he tweeted that a cardiologist had told him that the COVID jabs were the worst thing to happen to humanity 
since the Holocaust. He had the whip removed and, until late this afternoon, he was nowhere to be seen. I say that because he had a lot of mentions in the media this morning. BBC Radio 5 Live had Mariana Spring on, their so-called disinformation reporter. I've only just learned how to say BBC Radio disinformation reporter without collapsing in a heap on the ground, laughing my spleen up. It's hilarious, isn't it? The BBC disinformation reporter. You only need to mention Building 7. Right, so she droned on this morning about bridging, pushing disinformation and misinformation, disinformation and misinformation, but of course she wasn't specific. The presenter said they'd contacted Bridgen for a comment. That's very strange language. They didn't say we've invited Mr. Bridgen onto the programme for an interview. No, they said we've contacted him for a comment. Hmm. Anywho, as I said, we didn't hear anything from Mr. Bridgen until this afternoon. He used his YouTube channel to put out this statement. I think it's interesting. Have a listen. Have a listen. I'm disappointed that the Chief Whip Simon Hart, with the support of the Prime Minister, has chosen to suspend me as a member of the Conservative Parliamentary Party. My tweet of 11th of January was in no way anti-Semitic. Indeed, it alluded to the Holocaust being the most heinous crime against humanity in living memory. Of course, if anyone is genuinely offended by my use of such imagery, then I apologise for any offence caused. I wholeheartedly refute any suggestions that I am racist and currently I'm speaking to a legal team who will commence action against those who've led the calls suggesting that I am. Indeed, the Israeli doctor I quoted in my tweet has stated that there was nothing at all anti-Semitic about the statement. The fact that I have been suspended over this matter says much about the current state of our democracy the right to free speech and the apparent suspension of the scientific method of analysis of medicines being administered to billions of people. As I've consistently maintained, there are very reasonable questions to be asked about the safety and effectiveness of the experimental mRNA vaccines and the risks and benefits of these treatments. There are reasonable questions to ask of a government that is considering extending the use of these experimental vaccines to children as young as six months of age. These, ladies and gentlemen, are babies. There are reasonable questions about the side effects of mRNA vaccines, especially when we know categorically that the current risk of harm to most of the population, and especially young people, from COVID-19 is minuscule. We have a government who indemnifies vaccine manufacturers from claims against the harms caused by their products and a government who it appears actively look to remove MPs who raise questions about those harms. I was saddened to hear yesterday of my suspension but I'm not downhearted. I've received huge support from ordinary people, medical workers who are too intimidated to speak out and of course from those who've experienced vaccine harms themselves or to a loved one. Hopefully the media interest around my suspension will finally get the issue of vaccine harms into the media 
who have been so reluctant to cover this issue for so long. An issue which is clearly of huge and growing concern to many people across the globe. Reasonable questions about the safety and effectiveness of mRNA vaccines must continue to be asked, and I will continue to ask them. If I cannot do that as a Conservative Member of Parliament, then so be it. Highlighting these important questions, questions about life, death, serious injury, must override party loyalty. I owe that not only to my constituents in North West Leicestershire, but also to the wider British public, and especially to our children and young people, who are the very future of our great nation. Thank you very much for listening to me. Andrew Bridgen today, he may make an appearance later on this evening on GB News or to a lesser extent maybe maybe talk radio. Interesting that. He said he hopes that the media will now pick up on this, the censorship and the suspension of, of a sitting MP for merely asking questions. Well, not long before he put out the statement, Politics Live, a BBC Two lunchtime analysis programme presented by Joe Coburn did speak about the suspension of Andrew Bridgen. Now, Coburn had several guests on the panel. They were Pippa Crerar, the political editor for The Guardian, uh, Bob Seeley, who's the Tory MP on the Isle of Wight, Labour's Siobhan McDonough MP, and the author, Tamandra Harkness. Let's have a little bit of a listen to this. First up is uh, Tory MP Bob Seeley. He was asked if he agreed with the former Health Secretary Matt Hancock when, when Hancock said that anti-vax misinformation should be banned. Here's Bob Seeley. Um, I think it was, a, yeah, broadly, yes. I mean, I think it was an incredibly crass comparison to make. He shouldn't have made it. Uh, and I do not in any way defend what uh, Andrew Bridgen said. I just thought, it's just, sorry, you shouldn't... No, but be, and beyond that, okay, do you there think, is though, a... the views that he has espoused, misinformation on vaccines, should they not be aired at all okay, in wider society? There is, there is a public debate here. And whilst I disassociate myself completely from him, let me give you an example. Maybe it's been interesting to see what Pippa says, because obviously being from The Guardian... If I had stood up during the first lockdown and said we should have gone down the Swedish model because we're going to kill more people having lockdowns and not having lockdowns, there would have been people, maybe on my own side, maybe in the Labour Party, who said he should be deselected. How can you say that? How can you attack lockdowns? You're killing old people. Actually, the Swedish model has probably resulted in the deaths well, of fewer people overall than the it's lockdowns. It's very difficult to make, but I so, take your, I so take your broader point. There is a difference between freedom yep. of speech ah. and saying things which are unpopular and saying things which are dumb and crass. Bob Seeley, OK. He's right. Anyone questioning lockdown in March 2020 was called a hateful bastard. They were, by some. Language such as that was used, hateful, right-winger, because you don't care about vulnerable people, you don't care about elderly people. Anybody who asked any questions, anybody who said, what are we doing locking down society? What, what's this madness about locking healthy people down, restricting the movements of healthy people? What's going on? When people asked those questions at the time, including many a guest on this programme, they were called right-wing and far-right and hateful. People who didn't care about anybody else. He's right to make that point. So let's get the opinion of the Guardian political editor, Pippa Crerar. 
Listen. I'd agree on the point that that um, you know, different freedom freedom of speech is about obviously being able to um, present different arguments. But but there's a difference between you know the possibly controversial but nonetheless completely valid important. discussion yeah. around which countries dealt with the pandemic in different ways. Obviously, Sweden had a much younger population and different demographics and all sorts. But anyway, that, that, no. that's a conversation we can have afterwards. No. But, but but this is the, whole, the bigger point is that this is a completely valid debate and discussion to have. What isn't is something which is quite clearly dangerous when it, and so, so unscientific that it's dangerous. So unscientific that it's dangerous, says Pippa Carrera from The Guardian. But that bint must know that there are thousands of accredited, peer-reviewed scientists claiming that these jabs are dangerous and that they should be suspended. Unless she's got her head buried in the sand only to emerge to write her crap columns. She can't have the excuse, she can't say that she doesn't know that Andrew Bridgen spoke up initially because he was being told by people like Asim Malhotra, McCullough and, and many, many others that the jabs were dangerous. Right, but no, no, this is dangerous, she says. We've got to stop the dangerous stuff being said. And she's not, of course, challenged by the BBC presenter. In terms of the, the anti-vax conspiracy theories, I, which, is what, the which is what myself, this was. So, well, yeah. so, so you're not an anti-vaxxer, no. which is, which is um, important. It's important. You're not an anti-vaxxer, she says to the Tory MP, Bob Seeley, which is important. Which is important. Yeah, that's Pippa Carrera. There's a little bit more from her, I think, from The Guardian. But the bigger picture in all of this, I think, is about what sources of information do people trust? And we've gone from a world where people would have the BBC on their telly and a choice of three or four newspapers to a world where their sources of information are almost infinite, including not just news organisations, but on social media. Many people exchange ideas and news on Facebook, for example, and that's where they'll get their information. And I think it brings a bigger, it's a bigger question to be asked about who we or what sources we trust for information and what responsibility those providers have. Are they publishers? Are they just platforms for, for the information which goes out on their platform? Yeah, you'll hear quite a bit of this, you know, trusted sources. People used to just get their information from the Times, the Telegraph, the Guardian, the Sun and the Mirror and the BBC, and that was great because those were trusted sources. We could trust those sources, but of course we couldn't fucking trust those sources, could we? Do I have to begin mentioning the scandals and the wars and the invasions based on lie after lie after lie, but were championed by the BBC, the Telegraph, the Times and the Guardian? Is it any fucking wonder that people don't trust the broadsheet newspapers, the tabloids, or the BBC in 2023. Is she mad? But that just won't do, you see, for the establishment. It just won't do that people have largely abandoned the legacy media. So sick and tired are people of being lied to morning, noon and night about everything. Not just about wars and jabs and, and viruses, but about everything. People have had enough of it. And there's a much, much larger debate to be had about whether they're any better off on Facebook and Twitter. I would argue they're not much better off. But I won't get into that now. Pippa Crerar. So Labour's Siobhan McDonough then. Um, who determines which sources are trustworthy and which ones that should be banned? It's so very ironic coming from politicians and journalists, isn't it? 
isn't it? Who never asked a single question back in March 2020. Not a single politician stood up. Well, they did. There was a half a dozen of them on the back benches of the Conservative Party. But the majority, every 620, 630 MPs never asked a question. They never asked a question. They repeated verbatim what Chris Whitty, Patrick Vallance, Jonathan Van Tam, Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock said. Repeated it verbatim. In the case of The Guardian and Good Morning Britain on ITV and the BBC, they demanded harder and faster lockdowns. Isn't it any wonder with the damage that those lockdowns have done to society, to the economy, to the well-being of people? We're seeing it now. The consequences of treating only COVID and not giving people access for exploratory operations, not giving them tests that they would have ordinarily got that would have caught their cancers and whatnot earlier. We can see all of that now. And people know this. And they know that the legacy media, the media that's supposed to be, to stand a post on behalf of the people, to shine a light and hold a magnifying glass up to these lying bastards. That's the media's job. But during 2020, and since then, 2021, 22, and into 2023, the media doesn't ask questions. It repeats the narrative. It parrots it. And it does its damnedest to make sure that the scientists and doctors and academics who are trying to do something about it and are saying, look over here, there's another way, the media makes sure those people are never seen, never heard, never listened to. Here's uh, Labour's Siobhan McDonough on the same programme, Politics Live. Andrew Bridgen, the individual citizen, has a right to express his views. Mm-hmm. Andrew Bridgen, the MP, mm-hmm. is in a different position. He is in a leadership position, a position of trust. And I can absolutely assure you that all the anti-vaxxers out there will be using him as justification for their views. So I think we have to look at it, one, as an individual and then as an MP. So I completely agree, things you thought you'd never say, with Matt Hancock, with the Conservative Party, that he deserved to lose the whip. And should he ever be allowed to stand again? Well, I think that's a matter for the Conservative Party, but I would say no, because I think he... W- I mean, we are seeing the... I think we're seeing the Americanization of some of our politics with kind of the QAnon, the really mad ideas about the world that become more mainstreamed by people you trust being allowed uh, to express these willy-nilly so how with no that- sense of responsibility. Well, so how- yeah, lost in all... I mean, this is tyranny. It's abject tyranny. They're calling for the... Basically, the the banning of the deselection of the the cancelling of a human being, whatever you might think of him, conservative MP. I don't have any time for any of them, any politician, any political party. I haven't voted since two thousand and three. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Two thousand and two. I had my epiphany in two thousand and two. It's the last time I went to a polling station to vote for a politician. So I have no sympathy for the political system, the parties. But they're calling for the cancellation of, the unemployment of a man who says scientists, scientists are telling us that these jabs are doing a lot of damage around the world. Let's investigate it and let's seriously consider suspending the jabs. He must be destroyed according to Pippa Crerar of The Guardian, according to McDonough from Labour, 
and Bob Seeley sits there, the Tory MP, twiddling his thumbs, doesn't jump in and say, this is China. Is it China you want? Because that's what they do in China, you see. That's what they do. They censor, they terrorise their own citizens into compliance. They, they brainwash them. They induce a self-censorship. It's the most insidious thing you've ever seen. Turn a population into jelly, jelly babies. Terrified. You want to bring that here, basically. For people who ask a fucking question, like some of the people we've had on this program, who have been injured by these fucking poisonous, toxic shit heaps, that when they do ask the question, they're labelled as a crazy anti-vaxxer, a mad Q-anon person. You heard that bitch, Siobhan McDonough, yeah? I know it's misogynistic. I've never gone this far before. A fucking bitch. A useless C-nut. Calling for the banning and cancelling of a man for doing the job he was put in Parliament to do by his North Leicestershire constituents. And that is to ask questions on their behalf. But that rancid bitch who calls herself a Democrat is calling for, well, it's not for me to say because I'm not Tory, but yeah, yeah, ban him. Yeah, don't allow him to stand ever again. For what? For asking questions that you should be asking, you cowardly bastard. You nothing. You nothing of a human being. Your job is to protect the fucking people who put you in Parliament. And to ask the same questions as Bridgen. Who are these scientists? Jesus Christ. Wow. They went where? Oxford? Oxford Unit Cambridge, did they? And they're saying the jobs are dangerous? We better listen to these people. Fuck it. Maybe they're wrong, but we better listen to them. We can't ignore these people. I've been telling my constituents to get these jobs. And now I'm hearing the jobs might be dangerous. We can't have that. Let's, let's open a debate immediately. No, no, no. Where was that fat bitch, McDonough, when Bridgen had his debate about the vaccines just before Christmas, stuffing her fucking face in one of the bars in Parliament that are, um, that are subsidised by the taxpayer. Probably. Siobhan McDonough. Jesus, I've never gone so far in my life. I've never self-censored either. But it's wretched to hear that shit today, isn't it? Isn't it? Disinformation, misinformation, queuing on. As people are dropping dead within days. Not everybody but a certain amount of people are dying and these fucking jabs are unnecessary. As Andrew Bridgen stated repeatedly, why are they unnecessary? Because COVID has a 99.75% survivability rate. It doesn't do anything to people. It was a fucking cold. So why would you need to take a jab for it? Particularly an experimental thing that was dreamt up last year, two years ago, with no long-term safety data. It's in fucking saying this. It's time for a tune. While I calm down, we'll come back with plenty more in your comments as well. And if, if, you're, if you're female listening to this and you were offended by that, I'm sorry. It's not the sort of language I would use about women. But I'll use it about that McDonough. Hi there, it's Eamon here from Immunex365 and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there was ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. 
Also, I'm really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. Uncensored, unfiltered, you're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. I'm struggling to get onto my own website at the moment. Uh, the traffic, the volume of traffic is mental and even putting in buffers and stuff to, 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 to prevent it from crashing, it's very difficult. It's a WordPress site, it's nice, it's looked after very well by, by my mate Hayden Hewitt, but at times the traffic, the numbers are just overwhelming. People coming on to listen. But you can listen at Fab Radio 2 in Manchester at fabradiointernational.com and you can also listen on the TuneIn app. That's at tunein.com. Just look for The Richie Allen Show. Uh, you know, if you're trying to get through on the website now, you probably won't hear that. But anyway, that um, it's kind of annoying me. In fact, before Christmas, I bought another domain name to do with... Um, th- the show, the Richie Allen show, so that when the website was was problematic like it is today, there was somewhere else you could go to listen. Anyway, we'll leave that for for the moment. I'm dying to read your comments, but I can't get on. So I'll just carry on with, um, and I just want to say this to you. I'll tell you why I get so upset about this. And it's not very often I get upset about it. I'm not prone to ranting. I'm not. I never have been. I'll have the occasional little bit of anger. I'll get angry. The thing that kills me about this is I've worked at every level of the media. And it's, you know, it doesn't matter how often it happens. The impact is no less on my mind. You know, you'd say you should have gotten used to it by now, Richie. You've seen this through your own career, but I can't get used to it. I cannot get used to the sight of a presenter like Joe Coburn sitting there today while they're, while surrounded by a shower of disgusting, lying bastards. And all Coburn has to do when they're calling for the cancellation of Andrew Bridgen is just say, hang on a second, this is all she has to do, hang on a second, hasn't Bridgen received his information from scientists and doctors. That's all she has to do. Her job is done. And then follow that up with, maybe we should be asking the doctors and scientists who informed Andrew Bridgen why they are spreading misinformation. And the thing that kills me even more, now I know those doctors are not spreading misinformation, but that's what Coburn should do as a presenter of a national television program. Who is he getting his information from, Bridgen? Well, let's bring them on and call out their bullshit. You're an Oxford University educated scientist. Why are you criticising the jabs? No, that's never going to happen, obviously. It isn't naivety. With me, it's an inability to come to terms with the way things have gone. Not just, of course, in the last three years, but in the last 15, 20, 25 years. I came into the media in 1998, so I've been out of 25 years now. And it's still, it's like a knife to the heart listening to this. Not the lawyers. I can cope with the lawyers all day long. 
But the bastards, the whoring fuckers, presenters who sit there and don't ask a question. Simple question. Let's get the doctors on. Why, why, why are you going after Bridging? Sure, wasn't he told it by an Oxford-educated scientist, wasn't he? It's not Bridgen's fault then. He was lied to by the scientists. Let's get the scientists on and ask him why is he telling lies about the vaccines. But of course you can't do that because the scientists will come on and will rationally, scientifically and very calmly explain that the jabs are killing lots of people. Not just in Blighty, but around the world. And the scientists will calmly explain why this is happening. So it's hard for me sometimes I heard that today, but I didn't really hear it, Coburn. You know, it's dreadful. We'll come back to this at some stage during the rest of the programme, but let's talk about something else. I was going to talk about Andrew Tate, but let's not. At least not now, anyway. Um, Maybe a bit later on in the programme. Let's talk about something more serious. And this is deadly serious, okay? I mentioned the other day, £401 gas and electric. That's horrendous, that. But again, when... You don't really have any other debt, which we don't, thankfully, have any other debt, really. We don't, really. We don't have loans and stuff like that. So we can cope with it. It's scary to be getting energy bills like that, but we can cope with it just about, right? If it gets any worse over the next few months or the next couple of years, well, that'll be a different story. But it's it's destroying the lives of many a person. A citizen's advice has called for a ban on energy companies forcing their customers onto prepayment meters because the customers are struggling to pay bills. Now, energy companies are like James Bond villains in 2023. They are the most scurrilous, scandalous shithouse of shit, the people who run these companies, these energy companies. These are the scum of the earth. Because they are making billions and billions of pounds a quarter, not a year, in profits because of the hikes in energy prices that they're blaming on supply due to the Ukraine, the the Russian invasion of Ukraine and all of that old jazz, right? And these scumbags are putting people onto prepayment meters because those people are broke. Those people who are broke have been destroyed, they've been screwed over during the COVID scam. And now the roosters, the hens are coming home to roost. What the fuck am I saying? You know what I mean, right? Anyway. So they're doing this, putting people on prepayment meters. They're doing it to people who aren't really that much in arrears. And what that means is you've got a prepayment meter. It means if you've got no money, you're sitting in darkness, basically, and you're freezing your arse off. So Citizens Advice is saying that last year, 3.2 million people ran out of credit on their prepayment meter. And that's the equivalent of one family every 10 seconds, or one household or flat or apartment every 10 seconds. Fantastic, isn't it? I mean, that's why I said James Bond villains. I mean, what sort of bastard would do that to somebody? You know, in, in the winter. So, Citizens Advice mentioned somebody called Audrey, who's 81, was switched over to prepayment even though she couldn't walk to the shop to top up the energy card. So, you got to go to the shop. I don't, we don't have a prepayment meter. We don't have a smart meter. 
but I live in Salford. It's a working class community. That's lovely. I'm a working class lad. And when I go to my corner shop, I regularly see people come in to top up their energy cards. Okay? This woman couldn't get to the shop to do that because she's unwell, living at home, doesn't have a lot of help. She gets cut off. Freezing her arse off. So according to the BBC, ministers are saying that energy firms have got to do more to help people struggling. you think they would, wouldn't you? When they're making billions of pounds a quarter. You know, they're laughing all the way to the bank, these bastards. But no, they don't give a shit about people. They're insane, you see. Remember Joel Bacan, the great writer, attempted to psychoanalyse the corporation after the corporation won the right to be considered as a person under the law? so that it could get away with all manner of shit. Remember that? When corporations won the right to be treated like a person. Joel Bacan wrote a book called The Corporation to psychoanalyze the corporation. And it's fucking doolally. Corporations are insane. And most of the people inside them are insane too. So they're making billions every month, but they couldn't give a shit about Audrey Ridson. Couldn't give a shit, love. You're freezing, are you? Couldn't give a shit. Got a house in the Hamptons to buy. Couldn't give a shit about you, love. So, meters, smart meters being switched over to prepayment uh, things without getting permission from people, this is destroying lives, right? As Sky News spoke to Ruth London today, she's a lovely woman, I'm going to try and get her on the Richie Allen Show. Uh, Ruth is the co-founder of Fuel Poverty Action. I think she's a senior lady. Um, She looked very much to me like a senior lady, a retiree maybe. Uh, here she is speaking about the madness of this situation with Sky News. Ruth London. Yes, and of course that's only increasing because the companies are installing more and more of these meters, and they're not doing it as it, they're licensed to do. They're, you know, their license conditions say they have to make sure that it's safe for the person concerned, that it's practical, and that every other avenue has been exhausted. But instead, they're just sending batches, hundreds of warrant applications to magistrates and the magistrates are sampling one or two and then rubber stamping them and people are ending up you know with uh, somebody on their doorstep uh, to install a meter uh, sometimes breaking into their homes to install a meter that means that they can be left without any power you know even if they're ill you know imagine being with covid lying there and you can't get any heat you can't boil a kettle you know, your fridge is going off and everything in your freezer, if you have anything, is spoiled. Uh, you can't, if you have a hearing aid, you can't hear. Uh, if you have a stair lift, you can't get downstairs to the toilet. You know, whatever you need, you you know, you're deprived of because people have just decided that a large part of the population is dispensable that way. A lot of people die, you know, thousands die every winter from cold homes. And now, you know, we're expecting those death statistics to go up because the license conditions are not being adhered to. Ofgem is not protecting anybody. The courts are not protecting anybody. And certainly the government, which was informed of all this in very, very clear terms at the end of December, you know, they were begged, you know, we're going home to warm homes for Christmas. What about the people who, they don't just not have Christmas lights. They don't have any lights at all. I'd love to say to Ruth, and maybe I wouldn't say to her, maybe I wouldn't, They don't give a shit, Ruth, about people dying in fuel poverty. They don't give a shit, Ruth, that people are being encouraged to take a jab that is dangerous, that is toxic, that is unnecessary, and that is doing 
terrible harm. So they hardly care that people are dying in fuel poverty. Let's hear a bit more from Ruth London. Some people do choose to have a prepayment meter, but as you said, a number of people are having it enforced on them because they're falling behind on their energy bills, and so many people are now. What is the idea behind them? Because from what I can gather, it's actually more expensive for those who are financially vulnerable than if they were to have a normal meter. Not only is there a standing charge to have the meter in your property, they are also paying off the debt they owe to the companies and prepaying for electricity and gas. Yeah, doesn't that just tell it all that the people who have the lease to begin with are paying higher prices, just as, you know, people who live in worse housing, badly insulated, can't get the landlord to do the repairs, you know, are paying more for energy because half of it's flying out through, you know, the single glazed windows and the the, the, the doors and the, the floorboards and uninsulated walls. You know, everything is set up so that the people who have the most pay the least. And we're advocating reversing that so that the people who cut down on their energy so that they uh, hardly in some cases hardly use any at all uh, now are paying the highest price because of the standing charge are paying the highest price per unit of anybody we want that change we want what we're calling energy for all which means that everybody would get a free allocation of energy enough to cover the basics you know heating lighting, uh, keep the fridge on, you know, keep your appliances, your devices charged so that you're in contact with the outside world. Let's hear that again, what, what, what she's calling for, end fuel poverty or end fuel, the end fuel poverty action group. Just listen. means that everybody would get a free allocation of energy, enough to cover the basics, you know, heating, lighting, uh, keep the fridge on, you know, keep your appliances, your devices charged so that you're in contact with the outside world. Uh, you know, those are basics. Not much to ask, really, is it? I mean, what are governments for, really? What are governments for? Like, I, I, the question we don't ask often enough, what use are they? What should they be there for? What should their remit be? What should their their tasks be? What should their their, their duties be? It should be pretty simple, shouldn't it? It should be to make sure that everybody in the country has a roof over their heads, that their houses are warm and clean, not clean, but safe, and that they have running water. And what, what else? It's uh, 11 minutes to the top of the hour. I'm sorry about the comments. I know they are. there are many of them, and I know there are many of you trying to get through to leave comments for me, but um, the website, we're, we're inundated. I've been trying to reach Hayden. It's... Uh, it's a bit weird today. We have had a couple of denial of service attacks as well. That's when bots, I don't know how this works, but but certain groups of people try to bring down the website when the program is on air. But we have taken measures to try and prevent that. Anyhow, and you never hear me complaining about stuff like that because it's what the trucers do. Oh, they're attacking me. It's a load of bollocks, that. But um, yeah, they do sometimes do that, whoever they are. I don't know who they are. I'm taking another tune while I... Try and get on the website, and when I come back, I'll read your comments if I can, and I've got other stories to discuss with you this Thursday, of course, the 12th of January, 2023. Here's a lovely piece of music from the stunning This Is Half Past Two on The Richie Allen Show. The stunning, if you're not from Ireland, you may not have heard of them. 
but you ought to have. Half past two from the stunning on the Richie Allen Show Thursday's programme. All right, there, uh, I've managed to get online, so onto the site, I should say, so thank heavens for that. Baird says, government, why not just take everyone's private property and belongings, give everyone energy credits and a universal basic income? I, I don't think you are, but I hope you're not suggesting that I advocate that. I obviously don't. With my Bolivarian socialist hat on, governments, that's the irony, you see, of, of how the media particularly and the political class particularly, have inverted everything. Traditional socialists, of which there are none, there are none left anywhere, um, didn't believe in big government, did not believe in big government. Yes, they absolutely believed in the rights of the workers to own and to control the means of production. Yes, absolutely. But traditional socialists did not believe in punishing people who did well for themselves. Please, if you get a chance, go to youtube.com. The Richie Allen Show YouTube channel, the second one, is still standing, even though I haven't been permitted to upload to it for over two years now. But you will find a little mini lecture on there by myself about Salvador Allende and about Bolivarian socialism. Check it out. Uh, and I explain what Salvador Allende was doing, what his predecessor was doing, and why he had to be overthrown in that famous coup, of course, September the 11th, right? Okay, 73. So check that out. You know, traditional socialists were never calling for, never did call for. Hugo Chavez didn't do this. They didn't say, all right, we're going to brutally, we're going to punish people for doing really well. No, they didn't. They said to the, 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 the owners of companies and factories, look, pay your staff a living wage. Pay a health plan for your staff. And in return, we will take hardly any tax off of you because we won't need to take taxes off of you. I'm not saying I agree entirely with all of that. The fiat currency money system, I've talked a lot about that over the years as well. But just to finish on this and not to bore you, it isn't a socialist. Social democrats is a different thing. Social democracy, completely different. Liberal democracy, libertarians, completely separate from a genuine dyed-in-the-wool socialist who does not want to take you know, the lion's share of the company owner's earnings to redistribute it amongst people. Now, before you scream at me and say, oh, you're a hypocrite, a moment ago you said you prefer the employees to, to control the means of production. Yes, but that doesn't mean that you steal existing companies out from under the noses of people who have built them up. No, you don't do that. But look into that if you get a chance. Listen to my... It isn't boring. It's a fairly lively lecture about Salvador Allende and, and, and how, how you could look at his career and his short time as the president of Chile, why he had to be destroyed and what he achieved during that time 
it's interesting stuff. I won't get into it today, but do check it out. I don't know what I am today. I don't see myself as a socialist anymore or anything for that matter. But anyway, herself says, nationalise the utility companies and the building industry and build affordable earth ships for all. I think you mean houses. Stephen says they're creating a technocratic, totalitarian, feudalistic system, pricing people out of being able to afford to live. I think you're right. Yes, this is the Hunger Games society in all its glory. Break people financially. Because there's nothing more... There's nothing more miserable, is there? I mean, most of us have experienced... I think most of us anyway have experienced genuine poverty in our lives. I've spoken openly about times in in my life and in my life with my better half, you know, when we were broke and incredibly stressed because we were facing not being able to make the rent, eviction, bills piling up, not answering the door. I mean, I've experienced that. I experienced it as, as a child occasionally and as an adult it is terrible it is it is it's not the worst thing in the world there's worse things happen at sea but when you're in that situation and you can't see a way out it's horrendous and I still get spooked by it I think back to that feeling of helplessness and not having any income not knowing where I'm going to get a job and if that's induced, if, if that becomes the experience of the great majority, they'll take anything, including the offer of a universal basic income, including the promise of, well, listen, you won't have anything, but we, we promise you, you'll be blissfully happy. Yeah, I'm there. Caroline says, Richie, as a woman, I'm not offended. I referred to a female MP earlier as a rancid fucking bitch. And I wish I hadn't, because for people who are listening to this maybe for the first time, and they don't have any context, they don't understand, they've not heard the show over a long period of time, they probably think I'm an idiot, and I might very well be an idiot. It's not the thing I would normally do. Um, but thank you, Caroline. Wayne says, Bridgen committed the cardinal's sin. He dared speak up against the narrative and question the official truth. He made the mistake of thinking he represents the public instead of Sunak and the Tories, who in turn represent those behind the curtain, really in power. Nobody represents the people. Uh, only six out of 650 tried, he's referring to, Bridgen's vaccine harms debate, which took place in December, and only six MPs showed up. Anto says, do not consent to a smart meter. He's absolutely right. You should do everything in your power not to have a smart meter in your home. If you are renting your property, if you've got a nice landlord or landlady, if you've got a good relationship with them, explain to them you don't want a smart meter and to get an analogue one put in. If you own your own property, if you've recently purchased and there is an existing smart meter, tell the company which supplies you with your electricity and gas that you don't want the smart meter. They will take it out if you get really heavy-handed with them. Failing that, it is very easy to disconnect them without breaking them. Now, we have an old smart meter in our house, but it isn't operational. 
So we phoned the readings in as he would have done before. But ours is not connected to anything. No Wi-Fi, none of that at all. And we'll never have one because the absolute truth of it is the reason smart meters were brought in, and I remember when they brought them in, I remember the advertisements on the television. You will get accurate, you will get accurate bills. You won't be getting overestimated bills. It's all very clean and all very efficient and you'll be able to see how much electricity you're using in real time and you'll be able to use that knowledge to reduce your own bills. It's all very, very benevolent. It is in my hairy arse. Smart meters were invented for one reason and one reason only so that in the very near future they can cut you off whenever they damn well feel like it. Or failing cutting you off when they can determine for themselves that well your carbon footprint is a little bit heavy this month you know you're 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 turning that old thermostat up to 22 degrees yeah we know it's minus seven outside but we we can't have the thermostat turned up to 22 jesus no 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 we've got to turn turn it down a bit and they can do all of this remotely of course now of course in the very near future, the smart meters will be used for your electricity only. I think they are, at the moment, only for your electricity, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yeah, they're going to bring in heat pumps and get rid of gas boilers. That's another thing coming in as well. But yes, and Anto is right. If you can get rid of your smart meter, get rid of it. It's as simple as that. Scaramouche says the MPs and the BBC cannot question it because they pushed it, and many MPs, including the Prime Minister are gaining financially from the jab. Patrick alleges that these people are mini-Satanists, but they're not, Patrick, are they? Where's the evidence to, to support that? I, I don't... I, I, You know, it's a just... It's a bit of a cliché, that. And I'm not having a pop at Patrick. Yeah, you can make an argument that this agenda is Luciferian in its nature. Yes, it is. But are they Satanists? No, they're not. Do you know what they are? Most of them are compromised. Horrible, self-obsessed, narcissistic bastards. That's what they are. And they're compromised up to the tits, most of them. You know, there are filing cabinets on these people. We know who you are. You didn't think we'd see you elected to Parliament. You didn't think we would see you elected to government as the transport secretary or as the health secretary unless we knew that we could control you 24 hours a day. You didn't really think that you could just get in there and do whatever you wanted, right? It's control, really. Satanism? I don't know. There's no doubt that, as I said, it's Luciferian because it's a death agenda. It is a death cult. You know, let's send more tanks out to Ukraine. Let's see lots more people killed in Donbass. Let's just fucking kill as many people as we can. Let's send even more weapons of mass destruction to Saudi Arabia so that they can take pot shots at the Yemenis morning, noon and night. Let's do that. Yes, let's keep quiet while an experimental gene therapy jab is causing all manner of problems for the wider public between very serious adverse events and killing people. Let's say nothing. It's a death cult. 
Of course it is. I mean, it, it... It never... I mean, I've never been shy about... I've never been backwards about coming forwards. But I used to tone that stuff down, really, and, and, and leave that for my guests to say, you know, to maintain some level of separation and some manner of objectivity. But you can't ignore it now, what's going on. Just listen to that shit today from politicians and journalists who know that Andrew Bridgen has been told by legitimate doctors that the jabs are harmful to some people. They'll never admit this, you know. That's the problem. Colin says, Richie, I wrote to my MP Maria Miller. I asked her why wasn't she in the chamber to listen to Bridgen's debate. I eventually got a reply stating the vaccines are safe and effective, blah, blah, blah. They're all the same, Richie, a bit like the climate issue. To them, the science is settled. I told her I thought she was disgraceful. No answer to that thus far, says Colin. Thank you, Colin. Pietro then responded to Colin and said that Colin might ask Maria Miller if she's aware of the yellow card reporting system and if not, why not? That's a good point. Chris the Gardener. Uh, thanks, Chris, for your comments. He said, I agree, Richie, with everything you said uh, there. I think some of these people are so brainwashed they actually believe they uh, they believe the crap they peddle. And that's another good point, Chris the Gardener. While some of them are compromised, while some of them are just fat, greedy bastards who are only interested in themselves and and making as much money as they can. I'm sure some of these people do believe this stuff. I mean, they're in an echo chamber. Ironically, it's something they accuse us of inhabiting time and time again. They love throwing that at the independent media. Oh, you're in an echo chamber. Well, I'm not really. I'm not, because I, I do invite you on, you tyrant, you bastard. I invite you to come on for a for a civilised debate on these things. And that demonstrates, of course, I'm not in an echo chamber. I want to hear your side of it. Because I want to put to you the questions the BBC will not put to you. What have you got to say about the yellow card data? Several thousand people, or several thousand families alleging that the jabs caused the death of a loved one. At least two and a half thousand in the UK. At least. And if only 10% of, of, of people actually report. That's the thing, you see. It's very like radio, that. You know, they said that only one in ten people are likely to report an adverse event. And this is true. In radio, we have listeners, we have active listeners, and we have listeners. Now, you on Facebook there, excuse me, you on the Richie Allen web, website who are sending messages to me, you are an active listener. And thank God for you, because I'd have very little to say without your help, without your comments, right? So you're an active listener, and again, thank God you are. But it's reckoned that in terms of radio, it's it's far less. It's barely a percentage point of people listening are likely to get involved. That 99% of people listening would never 
decide decide to to go on to the site to to have an opinion to, to contact me directly. So if only ten percent of people injured are likely to report in this country alone, you might have as many as twenty five to thirty thousand people killed as a result of one of these jabs. You see, and by their own. Not by their own regulations, but by their own procedures, they are supposed to suspend the the rollout of of, of of a medicine for far less than that. Far less. I know the BBC, the Sky, the Talk TV, the LBC presenters, I know they know this. And I think when it gets as serious as this, I used to give them a pass. I used to say, right, they've got big houses in London, overpriced houses, they're mortgaged, they've got children, they're terrified about losing their job because even though they get a couple of hundred thousand pounds a year in salary, which is far more than most of us will ever earn, right? They're in London and they've got bills coming out of their backsides. I used to think, right, you know, walk a mile in my shoes, I used to think, right, try and understand them. But when it's as serious as it is now, there's no pass really, is there, for those presenters and producers and and editors who, who refuse to stand up to this tyranny. There's no pass, I don't think. It's 11 minutes past six. Hi there, it's Eamon here from Immunex365 and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there is ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. Also, I am really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Patricia's been on. Hi, Patricia. Richie, I agree with you, and nothing you've said will offend anyone who knows the truth about the experimental shots on humanity. Great to hear from you, Patricia. Uh, hi to Backbeat and to Donny Don, who says the, the facts are is that there were 50,000 excess deaths in 2022 and 72,000 related COVID-19 deaths in 2020. The money they spent the lengths they went to prevent further COVID deaths, we all acknowledge. And what are they trying to do to prevent 50,000 more deaths this year and future years to come? Absolutely nothing. Work that one out, says Donny. Thanks so much for that comment, uh, Donny. I appreciate that. It is uh, Thursday's Richie Allen Show. It is the, it's January the 12th, 2023. Calm down, son. Have a glass of water. And, uh, and then move on to talk about something else. You can still reach me during the programme via the website richieallen.co.uk comment light at the top of the menu bar. I look forward to hearing from you. I know I've just been kicked out of the website again, so let me talk about something else. Well, I talk about Andrew Tate for a minute. Um, what do you think of Andrew Tate? You might say, this is beneath you, Richie. 
you wouldn't ordinarily devote any time to this type of thing. I wouldn't, but I've been fascinated because when I walk the pooches in the morning, I do listen to the radio as I do that. And it's usually BBC Radio 4 and BBC Radio 5, generally BBC Radio 5 Live. I get a bit of sport as well, you see. And I like a bit of that, just you know, just chilling, thinking about what I'm going to do on the on the day's programme. So I'm thinking about this programme and I'm listening to the BBC. I know, I know, I know. But I do anyway. And each of the last couple of mornings, they've devoted time to somebody called Andrew Tate, which is very unusual that they would... It's not unusual that they would talk about influencers, which is a crazy term. We might talk about that in a moment. But it is unusual for them to carry it over a couple of days. And I'm, like, fascinated. And I really am sheltered. I don't spend much time on the internet when I'm not working. I don't. I I marvel at people who spend all their time on Twitter. They're always on there. They've got their phones in their pockets and they get their little alerts that they've had a like or that one of their connections has tweeted something and they get straight in there and they're always on there. I kind of marvel at that. I think each to their own. It's not for me. I, I, I don't think it's very healthy, but I don't judge either. I don't judge, right? But um, I'm sheltered and I've no time for watching BitChute and I've no time for YouTube. I've no time for it because I'm too busy with the programme. And I hear this guy's name mentioned, Andrew Tate, and I'm like, why, why does that ring a bell? Why do I think that, why do I imagine that I have heard of this guy before? It turns out I did hear of him a few years ago. He was hanging out with Tommy, two names, five names, Robinson, right? The the laughable little thug who describes himself as a journalist. Tommy the tit, right? That occurred to me. And then I remember reading a story in the press about this guy getting kicked out of a reality television program. Right. So now he's an influencer. And he, he he's being called out by the national media, not just in this country, but elsewhere. A lot. And the reason for this is, is that they are claiming that this guy is having a very negative influence on boys. Not just in the UK, but elsewhere. And I have to kind of wiggle my index finger in my ear, just to make sure I wasn't blocked up with earwax. You know, to make sure that I wasn't misunderstanding what I was listening to. Am I really hearing national radio channels suggesting that something needs to be done about some right-wing tosser who has a platform where he shouts about women and cars and money and stuff? Are they really talking about this guy? But they are, constantly, and they're saying that something needs to be done about him because boys are copying him and they are believing his misogyny or they are being um, seduced by this guy's misogynistic behaviour pull the other one, right? But no, seriously. And it got so crazy yesterday that the BBC reported that not one, not two, not three, but dozens of schools, wait for this, have decided to create special assemblies. You're not going to believe this. Special assemblies so that they can deprogram, this isn't the term they've used now, 
I'm not going to do the mainstream media thing of lying to you. I don't lie to you. They haven't used the term deprogram. But they have used terms like desensitize. Like they're going to discuss with young boys just how dangerous the beliefs, wait for it, of Andrew Tate are. How dangerous his beliefs are. Special assemblies. <laughs> right? And they've quoted people all across the BBC today. Secondary school teacher Charlotte Carson um, described um, Andrew Tate as a pathetic, insecure man who promotes Taliban beliefs about how to treat women. <laughs> and boys are listening to him. And this is having a very profoundly negative effect on boys and how boys see women and how boys are likely to treat women. Now, this guy, Tate, is a former kickboxer. He's got millions of followers online. I don't know why. What is the attraction of these loudmouthed dickheads? I mean, I understand echo chambers. I get how echo chambers work. Sadly, many of us, many of us people, human beings, we have become addicted to hearing our opinions shouted at us by influencers. This is what an echo chamber is, and it's, it's profoundly negative. There's that word profoundly again. It really is. I hate it. I hate it. I hate what, what's, what's, what's happened to people. You know, people are, they live in echo chambers increasingly in 2023. It's been happening for years. They are exposed to only that which they agree with or sympathise or empathise with. So I get that. But obvious caricatures like Andrew Tate, who may not believe some of the allegedly misogynistic things he says, it amazes me that they have such a following. I, I don't understand it. Inevitably, somebody will accuse me of jealousy. No, 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 no. Don't be silly. I'm quite bright, you see. If that's something I had wanted, that was something I could so easily have had. That's something David Icke and I discussed some years ago. Ike said to me, we were having a drink in London. He said, you're a pretty good radio producer, Richie. I said, thank you, I'm not too bad. And he said, you're very good on air. He said, you're charismatic, he said to me, blowing blowing smoke up my arse, right? Which is quite nice of him. And I said, yeah, I'm all right. You know, I'm experienced. And he said, a guy like you, and he said a guy like me, because he was a very, very good broadcaster for the BBC. Very smart guy. He said, we could do the crazy right-wing, you know, Katie Hopkins, that sort of shit, basically. Ike said, we could do that so much better if we were basically arseholes and if we wanted to enrich ourselves. And I said, exactly. Of course we could. Anybody with their training and experience could do that and make an absolute mint out of it. And it, it, it's what goes on in the truth or industrial complex. There's lots of money and prestige in shouting very loudly at people, uh, the things that they already know to be true. I've stunned millions of followers on TikTok, on Instagram, and they're going after this guy now, saying he has to be banned. He has to be excommunicated, kicked off of every platform. Uh, he's in Romania at the moment, apparently, with his brother. He's being investigated for human trafficking and for rape. He denies it. His brother denies it. I think they've been bailed pending further investigation or a trial. And I think they've had their passports confiscated. I think they've got to remain 
in Romania. But um, I don't know what fascinates me more, is that people keep falling for these clowns. You know, these attention seekers. I mentioned Katie Hopkins. Because I look at Andrew Tate, and then I look at Hopkins and her carry-on, and I see a lot of similarities. And I suspect that a lot of what these people say, they don't really believe it. But they know it's pretty lucrative. Grifter is a term that comes to mind. But special assemblies, that also grabbed me. The cheek of any head teacher to assume that a young boy is, you know, stupid enough to watch Andrew Tate and to believe that this is how life works like. You know, this is how it... I mean, do we really believe that 15, 16-year-old boys watch Andrew Tate and they believe that this is how it's going to be when they're older? You'll have loads of bitches and you'll have a Lamborghini and you'll have gold bling. It's just nonsense. The absolute tyranny of it, really. Let's bring you in for special assemblies to tell you that Andrew Tate is dangerous. I mean, where are the fucking parents... There's no way, not that we have children, that I would allow any teacher or head teacher say, we're bringing your children in for re-education. What? Well, there's this guy and he's a misogynist and he's on bitchute. Really? I couldn't give a fuck, really, to be honest. He's a grifter. He's an opportunist. There's loads of dosh in it. Wow. Amazing. Shout from the rooftops. Shout it as loud as you can. Scream abuse at people who disagree with you. And you'll get a following. It's a very simple formula. Isn't it? It never gets old. It isn't new, but it never gets old. And there's always people willing to follow it. But the madness of the schools. It's 23 minutes past the hour. More music and then back with more chat. It's your BBG. I am hoping against hope that I can get on my website again. To read more of your comments today. Hey, don't forget, Sunday morning at 10, I'm live with Sunday morning melodies. Tell you more about that a bit later on. Amy McDonald. That is Amy McDonald, and this is The Life on the Richie Allen Show, Thursday's programme. I'm Richie Allen, your BBG. Thank you for reaching out to me through richieallen.co.uk. Anto says, why... I never heard of this guy till he started trending. Why is or was he trending? It sounds planned. In fairness, he says some good stuff about the New World Order. I like him for that. And then Anto says he's been stitched up on a trafficking crime. But how do you know that, Anto? That he's been stitched up? I don't know that he hasn't been stitched up. But I wouldn't say that. Because that's silly. I'm not party to the information, neither are you. How do you know he stitched up? Is it because he said something that you like, you see, Anto? This is the thing. It astonishes me. You know, he's an idiot, but he says some good th- things, so, so he must be okay. But that's what grifters do. Some years ago, um, you, you might remember I wrote a piece on the website. It, it got, um, of all the pieces I put on the website over the years, this one... I think it got the most attention. I wrote a very long article about the Truser Industrial Complex, about how much of the independent media, and they're not evil people now. Evil, they're not necessarily bad people. They're just opportunists. I wrote about how much of the independent media 
um, could be shown to not really believe that which they broadcast or put out, that they were doing it for attention and for financial gain. So, because many of these people say the things that you believe to be true and they appear to be speaking to you, that doesn't mean that they believe it. In many instances, you are a mark to them. You are an opportunity. And I've proven this before. I wrote this article years ago and... uh, I mean, I was never part of any community anyway. I hate the idea of a community or of, um, you know, of, of, of this thing about truthers. You know, I, I, I attacked a couple of independent content creators years ago. Not attacked, but I exposed them for bullshitting. And the astonishing thing for me at the time was, even though I, I had demonstrated unequivocally, absolutely, demonstrably provable... I'd shown them up to be telling lies for gain, for financial gain. The thing that really astonished me was, was that even though the proof was glaring, some people came back to me and said, oh, this is bad form, Richie, we're all supposed to be on the same side. I'm not on anybody's side. I'm an independent journalist, an independent content creator. I'm I'm like you insofar as I'm desperately trying to figure out what's going on and why, and I have my opinions as to what is going on and why. But that's like a journey, to use a cliche, that I'm on. What's happening and why is it happening? But I'm not on anybody's side. And just because some guy makes a podcast in America and deals with some of the things we deal with on this program, I'm not some ally of this guy. I couldn't give a shit about him. Kudos to him or her for making programs. But we're not allies. There's no team here. You know, independent media. The the, the clue's in the name. But years ago, I remember, there was a content creator in this country who was making outlandish claims about a paedophile ring in a primary school in Hampstead. Something he knew to be untrue. Something he acknowledged privately was untrue, but kept putting it out there because it attracted listeners or viewers to his platform and it saw him be invited to various meetings and demonstrations where he could talk about this stuff. He was putting it out there that at a primary school in Hampstead Heath, babies were being murdered and they were being eaten. And he knew this was untrue, but he put it out there repeatedly. And when I exposed this bullshit, because I had to expose it. You can't ignore this, right? Um, I didn't hear much from this guy. That doesn't matter. But from people who consume independent media, some of them are like, oh, that's, I can't believe it, Richie. We're all supposed to be on the same side. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? This guy was a grifter. Everybody wanted to hear stories about satanic paedophile rings. And of course, satanic paedophile rings are a real thing. There's a market there. A lot of people are talking about it. I know. I've got some people who are making claims about something I know never happened. But I'll put it out there anyway. And that's it, you see. So you you, you say Andrew Tate to me. You say Katie Hopkins to me. There are many others. Usually on the centre-right or just on the right 
screaming about these things. But in many cases, not in all cases, it isn't because they are, they've got some deep commitment to exposing the truth. Most of the time it's because they realise that they get a lot of attention. That's what grifting is. And I don't do this very often, but when I do, there's always a backlash. Oh, Richie, you know, you must be, of course I'm not jealous. Of what? I've got the most listened to independent news radio show in the world. I've got millions of listeners. And I never say that because it doesn't matter. But jealous of what exactly? Like I said earlier, if we really wanted to do it, I could do what they do a lot better than they do it. And a lot more subtly, with a, with a softer touch, be huge. But that'd be dishonest, wouldn't it? That's what they do. So this Andrew Tate guy, and Paul mentions, Paul Riley mentions, Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson. If they can't get through, says Paul, neither can you. They make excellent gatekeepers. I don't know if they're gatekeepers or not, Paul, but they're grifters. Jordan Peterson is a grifter. In my opinion, I should say. Bruce says, uh, this could be looked at as a spiritual war, so I believe Patrick is correct. Some are compromised politicians, some are idiots, but it's it's clear that there is a vast difference in the energy between the two camps. Uh, some are consciously implementing the agenda, some followers, but you could easily build a case for them being satanic energetically. That's Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Dean says, uh, not sure about Tate. I don't have a problem with what he says, but his spat with Greta Thunberg seemed very staged. Never heard of him, says Jenny. Uh, thank you, Jenny. Caroline says, they haven't got any humanity, morals, no empathy. Uh, I do not have much sympathy, for, much of any sympathy for them, I am afraid, she says. Yeah. And that's speaking directly to the point I made earlier on, where I said that, you know, I used to give them a pass. The, the presenters who don't do their jobs for fear of losing them and then ending up in dire financial circumstances. I used to think, well, put yourself in their shoes, Richie. If you're living in London, you've got a very heavy mortgage, you've got a car loan, you've leased a car, you've got children going to schools there, the cost of living is astronomical. Put yourself in their shoes and try to understand why they do not do their jobs and ask the questions. But as Caroline said there, as as I say now, that pass has expired. I don't offer that pass anymore. Not that they care too much about what I think, I don't think. Craig mentions a something called Principles of Scientific Management by Frederick Taylor, which was one of the primary inspirations for Lenin, Stalin, Mao, uh, Chairman Mao, Mussolini, Hitler, and all the eugenics movements. And what are the vaccines and psyops programmes if not scientific management of the populations. Yet so few know these things. You're absolutely right. It's been a long time since I heard the name Frederick Taylor, Craig. You are right. Very few people have ever heard of principles of scientific management. I to busy. Money either buys everything or nothing, depending on who depends on the money and who doesn't. Thank you for that. Hi to Angela, who says, I'm not offended either, Richie. You can say whatever it is you like about any of these bastards, men or women. 
Let's have um, just a smile. I don't know if this will be a giggle. It'll make you smile, though. I don't know if you've ever seen a film called Ted with Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. We love a bit of Mark Wahlberg, don't we? I love him because you wouldn't describe him now as a classically trained actor. You wouldn't see Mark Wahlberg as a particularly gifted actor. But yet he's pleasant. He's easy on the eye, Mark Wahlberg, isn't he? You know, as a, as a film buff, his films are usually entertaining. He was very good in the film about the, the boxer, about Mickey Ward. He was very good in that film, as was Mel- Melissa Leo, or Melissa Leo. She was fantastic too in that. But Mark Wahlberg is in a film called Ted. He grows up with a teddy bear, which is a conscious being, which in the film gets an awful lot of attention from the global media. It's a, it's a fantasy film about a teddy bear who, who is a conscious life form who can speak <laughs> and walk and talk and has his own ideas. The teddy bear's voice is done by, what's the guy's name? Help me out. Uh, Seth, Seth, Seth Rogen, is it? Is it Seth Rogen? I could be wrong. Anywho, it's a funny film. The, the sequel was, in my opinion, terrible. But Ted was great. Great crack, right? So Mark Wahlberg grows up with a teddy bear. It's a conscious being. Now, Talk about life imitating art. Dr. David Lloyd is a GP in London and Kay Burley at Sky News has made Dr. David Lloyd into a little bit of a minor celebrity. (laughs) Haven't you, Kay? You have, haven't you? Fabulous. It's all good. (laughs) Yes, because during lockdowns, during the last two, two and a half years, Kay would bring Dr. David Lloyd on daily to talk about COVID and and vaccines and whatnot. And David Lloyd is the first ever of of, of his kind medically qualified koala bear. Um, Google the guy, Dr. David Lloyd London, you'll see what I mean. He's the first ever medically trained koala bear to appear on national television to share medical opinions. And it never fails to amuse me when this guy appears on Sky News in the AM with Kay Burley. It's... It's it's comedy gold. Let's have a listen to today's episode of Kay Burley and the medically trained koala bear. Meantime, new research suggests people who are suffering with long-term effects from coronavirus should expect their symptoms to resolve within a year. A team of Israeli researchers have found that mild disease does not lead to serious or chronic long-term morbidity. Brilliant. Do you hear that from Kay? They, 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 they've said in, in, in Israel... Put your teeth in, Richie. Stop stuttering and stammering. Israeli scientists have said that long COVID is only going to be long for a year. <laughs> and that at the end of the year, the long COVID should, should disappear. The, the symptoms should wane and should fade away. Remember all that bullshit about long COVID? Matt Hancock, remember? About long COVID. Bewitch you forever. It's like herpes. So that's good news, right? Somebody who knows an awful lot about it, Dr. David Lloyd, London GP, of course. Hello to you, Dr. Lloyd. It's good to see you. This is good news, right? Good news. I think it is. Yes, it's great. Uh, it's come out of Israel, which, as you know, was a, a really very important country that got their cut there. Po- it's an apartheid state that brutalizes the indigenous people of Palestine 24 hours a day. Let's call Israel what it is, David. Population vaccinated very quickly. Oh, yeah, and it vaccinated everybody really quickly. Uh, and they've really done very well out of COVID. Uh, they've done very well out of COVID. Uh, and this is this research seems to look at the alpha and delta variants of COVID and seems to say that 
if you've got prolonged COVID with lots of symptoms and breathing symptoms in particular, you're going to get better within a year. Whereas we were very worried that this is going to linger on for a very long time. So We were very worried it was going to linger on for a very long time. So the research seems to suggest that if you had the alpha or the delta variants of COVID, varieties of COVID, Heinz 66 and all of that, um, if you had those, either of those variants, you don't have to worry about long COVID. Your long COVID should only last for about a year. So, yes, very good news. <laughs> and the other bit of good news in it is that you, uh, there is yet more evidence that if you've been vaccinated, you're less likely to get the, the prolonged COVID as well. What's that? If you're vaccinated, you say, you are very less likely. No, what did he say? He said if you are vaccinated... It shows that you are less likely to get long COVID as well. All right, okay. Dr. David Lloyd. Does Kay have anything to say in response to that? Do you, Kay? Um, do people have long COVID and don't even know they've got it? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, says David Lloyd. <laughs> oh, you ask all these very difficult questions. I, That's why she gets the big bucks. That's why Kay's on the top salary. That's why she's the Pulitzer. No, she's never won a Pulitzer Prize. Wonderful question. Can you have long COVID and not even know it? I, I think so. I think there are a lot of people with an awful lot of symptoms at the moment. We're, we're really struggling under the... You are. A lot of people have a lot of symptoms at the moment. I wonder... I wonder what could be... What might be the common denominator there, I wonder? Vaccines? The sort of triple threat of all these viruses. Lots of nasty flu around at the moment. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very difficult to distinguish them. Why is it very difficult to distinguish between the things that people have? Because we don't do routine testing anymore. Not doing routine testing anymore, okay. Uh, but I think we're seeing an awful lot of people with COVID. How do you know if you're not doing the testing anymore? I would have jumped in there straight away, but then again, I'm a better presenter than Kay Burley. You, you are a better presenter. I have a German Shepherd downstairs called Bobby Jean. She's 16 months old as a better fucking presenter. Zinke Burley, just jump in. Hang on a second. If you're not testing, how do you know what it is they have? Whether it's a cold, whether it's the flu, or whether it's the Omicron, the Alpha, the Delta, or the Beta variants. Who might just have, who are just having minor illnesses at the moment. So, yes, now I think it's a, a, a very good point. Very good point. There are lots of different strains of COVID, um, as we know, Omicron being uh, one of the really challenging ones, Delta. There's a new one, I think, in the United States yes, at the moment. Happened. Does yes. that impact on on whether you get long COVID or not? Does it depend on what strain you've had? <laughs> well, that's that seems to be the, the inference from this research. This is just looking at the alpha and delta. So we've got to wait for more data on the, the Omicron wave to see whether that makes a difference to this particularly, particular part of the COVID problem, yeah. Okay, and as far as uh, people who are still getting COVID, is it still the threat that it was? Is it still the threat that it was? What a question. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. How do I answer that? I, I don't think, I think you and I and people who are, who are at low risk, are, are, uh, it's now part of, a part of life that you're, you're going to get COVID. Uh, I think that the people who are very vulnerable still are still at risk. Uh, and hopefully they've all been vaccinated so that the, there is a risk, there is less chance of breakthrough infections. Uh, but it's still around. Uh, I admitted two patients with COVID last week. How, how do you know you admitted two patients with COVID last week? You just said you're not testing for it. 
again as a GP. So um, we're all we're all sitting there watching it and, and just desperately hoping that it'll come under control. Uh, Eight hundred and seventy-three people died from COVID last week. So how do we know? Week, so it's not going away. That's up a, a little bit on the week before. So we're 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 just learning to live with it, but living with a terrible toll. Living with a terrible toll. This is some horseshit. This isn't it. Um, let me ask you one final question, if I may, about... Go on, the killer question. Um, a, a survey done by Macmillan Cancer Support saying almost half of cancer patients have had to fight for treatment on the NHS. Cancer treatment is obviously time-sensitive. Why isn't it being prioritised, do you think? Well, it, it, again, I'm afraid it, it all comes down to, to finding it jolly difficult to see your GP. Yes, that's right. It's jolly difficult to see your GP. You know, you spend thousands of pounds in national insurance contributions, which is basically prepaying to see a GP or to go to hospital, but the fuckers won't see you. And then he says something which is quite absolutely remarkable. I didn't know this. He's going to talk about how something like a quarter of people who are diagnosed with cancer are diagnosed in accident and emergency. Uh, the, the really worrying statistic is about one quarter of cancers are now diagnosed in emergency departments. Those departments that are absolutely overflowing yeah. and they're having to diagnose cancer because people can't get to see their GP. Marvellous, isn't it? One quarter of people handed down a death sentence, really. Horrifying news. You've got cancer. Right, how am I looking? Well, not great, really, because... You've had to come into accident emergency, you're so sick that, you know, it might be a bit late really now. Yeah, I was trying to see a GP for most of the last two years, but the fucker wouldn't see me. Yeah, that's right, yeah, because they were only treating COVID. Or they were hiding in their offices and only speaking to people via Zoom. It's just insane. John Waters, the Irish journalist, great guy, must get John back on. Speaking about the bastards who banned people, the residents of care homes, the elderly residents of care homes, John Waters said that the people who banned those residents from seeing their children and grandchildren should be horsewhipped. And I'll never forget when he said that. It was a very powerful programme. He was very powerful in it, very emotional. And I think of John and what he said when I listened to this a quarter of people are so sick they're in accident and emergency and they find out they've got cancer. Late stage cancer, many of them. And you think, horse whipping is not good enough for the bastards who've overseen this, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's um, 14 minutes to the top of the hour. Yeah. Wow. Let me read some more of your comments. Thank you for them, by the way. That said, the koala bear, Dr. David Lloyd and Kay Burley. Mm. Yeah. William says, Hi, William. How are you? Let me scroll back up. I've just lost the comment. In fact, let me, let me just refresh there. Apologies. I've been fighting on several fronts this afternoon, trying to present this while trying to get on my own website, which is, which is difficult. Chris Morell says, Fight for treatment. That's a quote from Dr. David Lloyd. Chris says, that's the GP Hunger Games. These stupid talking head TV germ theory doctors 
they just talked themselves out of COVID being any fecking thing whatsoever. They do. They diluted and diluted and diluted, don't they? Jenny says they didn't know what people had when they were testing because the tests weren't tests and couldn't look for anything specific. That's true. It's 100% true. Angela says, I had glandular fever as a teenager and I had post-viral fatigue for God knows how long. I went back to school and nobody took any notice. Nowadays, it would be long COVID, wouldn't it? What nonsense, says Angela, and she's absolutely right. Pandora says, Mark Wahlberg is great in a couple of films. Thank you, Pandora. William says, I saw a comment on a YouTube live. The person was saying that their cat had long COVID. The person wasn't joking either. Where do you even start with that? (laughs) My cat has long... Cats are lazy bastards anyway, aren't they? I I love cats. I'm a big cat fan, by the way, in case you're wondering. Yeah. Very good. (laughs) Absolutely. William asks about the latest World Economic Forum Global Risks, the 2023 document that came out yesterday. I've not read it yet, William. Uh, Thanks for mentioning it. I'll have to take a look at it now tomorrow. But uh, yes, yes, I'm sure it'll be interesting reading. Hi to Richard Kelly who says, I have a rule, Richie. If I'm in any doubt, I'm out. So I am very careful who and what I listen to. I'm very focused on Ireland right now. I don't stray too far from a few independent guys uh, and this programme, says says Richard. Well, you've got to treat everything you hear with a respectable degree of scepticism, don't you? Like, I know it is a pretty trite cliche, but it's something I do mean. I expect, when I'm monologuing, right, at the beginning of the programme, and I'm throwing a few opinions in there, which, of course, historically, I wouldn't have been allowed to do, justifiably, by the way. You know, the presenter's opinions should really, all things being fair, should be kept out of it. But commentary has replaced journalism. And I do it myself. I'm well aware of it. I comment at times. I like to think when I interview people that I put opposing points of view to them. That's journalism. But in the monologues, I'm basically sharing my opinion. And you really should be very sceptical about that. Even if you agree with it. It's the healthy thing to do. Why is he saying that? What's in it for him? Where did he get his information from? These are important questions. Craig came back to say, Richie, if you haven't seen it yet, I recommend Glass Onion. I haven't, actually. Much of it is about grifters and the interconnectivity of grifters and social media, politics, science, new corporate bodies, the fashion industry and the clean energy industry. In many regards, it is quite the brave film for the current climate. I must check it out, Craig. Speaking of the grifter thing, Look, I'm going to leave you with this. I don't know what you'll make of this. But if you've, if you've listened to me for a certain period of time, if you knew me when I was doing the television thing in London with the People's Voice, you will know that I'm very unpopular in truth or circles. They don't like me very much. And that's, um, that's fine. That's okay. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. I've got very thick skin a lot of people don't like me, that's fair enough. And I don't have any problem, it, it, it doesn't make me think any less of them. But the truthers don't like me. And one of the reasons for this is, is because I called bullshit 
on the three-day weekend conferences. Years ago, I was invited, back in 2015, a man who's no longer with us, who died a year or so ago, and because he's died, I am not going to speak about him negatively at all. But um, I didn't really like this guy. He didn't like me either, so that made us, e- made us even. And the reason we had a mutual dislike was he invited me to speak at a conference. And he said, there was plenty of money in it for me. There was a hotel in it for me. And I said, what the bloody hell would I speak about? And he said, uh, well, just get up there and speak about uh, the tyranny and about the agenda. And I said, well, I, I interview people who do that. That's not me. I, I'm, I'm not a researcher. Anyway, I said, who, who will be at this conference? And he said, fans. I kid you not. I said, what do you mean fans? He said, fans of the speakers. He said, we've lots of speakers coming and they have a lot of followers. All right, I said. I said, to talk about the agenda. And he said, yes. And I said, that sounds like navel-gazing to me on behalf of the speakers. And it basically sounds like a Comic-Con convention with people turning up to meet their favourite truther. People who already know what they're going to hear um, or, or believe most of it is true. I said, that sounds a bit like opportunistic, really. This is true now. So this guy didn't like me very much and he was very suspicious of me. And I was invited to a number of other things by different people and I gave the same reasons for declining. I'm no good guy. Don't, don't see me now as some sort of saint. I'm not, but I'm very, very definitive on these points. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I began referring to this as the truther industrial complex, which is a term which was invented by a Boston-based journalist back in 2012 or 2013. He was writing about opportunists who were leaving, sometimes leaving the mainstream media and going into conspiracy research, not because they necessarily believed in it, but because they saw a financial opportunity there. This guy says to me, I have these conferences, I hold them every year in hotel and you should come. And I said, no, that's a complete waste of time preaching to the converted. Speaking to people who know more about these things than I do in the audience because I'm just a bloke who likes to hear the researchers and to, 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 to bring them on to see what they've got to say. So I'm not liked at all. I've never been popular amongst uh, other content creators, particularly the truthers with uh, inverted commas, because it's like he's going to blow our cover. You know, I'm like, and I don't know for a fact, you know, that the people who put these conferences on were not trying to do something good. So I don't say that. I, I, I don't label them as bastards and, you know, a snake oil salesman. I don't. But I also never saw the, the logic in, in these things. And, you know, I, I said to the guy at the time, the guy is deceased now, you know, God rest him, and I mean that, um, wherever he is. I said to him at the time, but why, why don't you try and get a big bunch of people into a room, like people from your local cities and your local towns, people who think that you're stark raving mad. Why don't you get them in there? Of course, the obvious question is, well, how would you get them in there, Richie, if they think you're stark raving mad, like, good bloody question. But there are ways to induce people to come and hear something they've never heard before. Why don't you come and hear uh, this? Come and give us a listen. We won't charge you. We'll find a way of giving you a sandwich and a beer. Come and have a listen to us. Because we think there's something very wrong. 
people who have never heard this stuff before and who wouldn't have been exposed to it. And the truths are looked at me like I was crazy. No. Well, there's, there's nothing in that. So, uh, yeah, I've never been um, very... You can see it on social media. I'm not part of any groups. Uh, I don't um, have any affiliations. Something I'm very proud of. I'm an independent content creator. I'm full of shit sometimes. I'm well aware of it. And then I find out that I'm full of shit. I think, Jesus, you had an opinion there and it was wrong. I'm sure we can talk about that. And I'll talk to anybody about anything. There's no filters on the programme. There, there isn't any topic which is off limits. That's all I do. But I'm not part of any community. And uh, I never want to be. And this is the reason why back in 2018, I um, graciously um, departed um, parted company with, uh, with DavidIke.com. I said I, I would prefer my programme was not streamed on there anymore. I'm independent. I want to be absolutely visible as an independent guy with no associations. That way you can say anything. You can talk about anything. Nobody can say, well, oh, you're influenced by this or you're just parroting this agenda. There is no agenda, there's just me, you know. And uh, that's how it'll always be as long as, I, as, li- as long as I'm on air. I'll piss you off sometimes. I'll say things you don't like and, and um, you'll find disagreement with me. And that's brilliant. And you can phone in during the phone-ins and stick it to me. We'll never fall out, though, you know. We'll see things differently and, 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 and that's bloody fine. I wish it happened more often. Because you get things done when you've got that, you know, when you've got that back and forth. And uh, look, it's to my lasting regret that certain elements of the right-wing media have been successful in convincing politicians and, and other journalists not to come on the programme. That'll be to my lasting regret that, that they succeeded, because those debates, those arguments would have been brilliant. They would have been brilliant listening. No grandstanding. No trying to beat the other guy. Just saying, hang on a second, but what about this? But, you know, that's just the way it is. Anyway, thanks for listening to my bollocks today. I really appreciate it. If you can, join me on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Sunday Morning Melodies. That's a programme I enjoy doing very much. And um, I'll see you there. Have a great weekend. Take care of yourselves and one another. Closing out with Gary Barlow. Sloan Gafol. Sloan Tommel. 